what are you drinking today? I'm drinking uh, some cucumber lime spedka vodka with um, sparkling water. Oh, you're going like my flavor this morning. It's a little early for me, so uh, <laughs> not Have that you... anyone knows when we're recording this, but it's early. <laughs> it's noon. I mean, it's noon in Texas, so we're we're in the afternoon on a Sunday where breakfast booze is completely acceptable. Okay. What are you drinking today, Amanda? I am drinking an island screwdriver, so it's mango, spetka, vodka, and pineapple juice. That sounds delicious. It's so good. All right, welcome to this episode of Veterans Drinking Vodka. We believe that every veteran has a story to tell, and we are here to tell it. We have found that being a service member was easy, but being a veteran can be very hard. In this episode, we are talking to Jennifer Greer. She served in the United States Navy from 2001 to 2003 as an aviation electronics technician. How are you doing today, Jen? I'm doing great. Thank you. What are you drinking? I am actually only drinking a Coke Zero. Uh, I have found that alcohol does not agree with my medication that I take for pain management. So I keep it non-alcoholic these days. But okay. we I, love that. Yep. Yes, we do. Here's we can to, uh, take that. care of yourself. All right, Jen, tell us how your journey started. Where are you from? I am from Olympia, Washington. I was born in this teeny tiny town just outside Olympia called Shelton, a little logging town. Very few people know about it, but it's still there. Grew up in Olympia. My parents actually still live in the house I grew up in and probably always will. And I went to the same um, schools. I didn't ever move. (laughs) I moved out for the first time when I was 20. So yeah, I, I knew a lot of the same kids from going to elementary school and then middle school and then high school with them. So That is amazing. Pretty deep roots in the area. Yeah. Sisters actually came and settled the area and then we just kind of stuck around. So, yeah. And it's it's beautiful country up there. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's uh, I love it. I love it so much. PNW is on my bucket list. Oh, man. You have <laughs> Every a place time to I talk to someone new on this podcast, her bucket list gets longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you always have a place to stay with us. We have extra beds and all about it. So why did you decide, decide to join the Navy and why did you decide to be an aviation electronics technician? That's actually kind of a funny story. I didn't really think about it. I was bartending and going to community college, which I was lucky enough. My parents were paying for that. Um, they wanted to pay for my associates. So I was going to community college and I had just had a meeting with my counselor and they told me that none of my, um, none of my credits were adding up to anything. (laughs) It was just like, I told them what I wanted to take and they let me take it without telling me, well, that's not really going to get you anywhere. So my varied interests kind of shot me in the foot. And so I was, I was pretty ticked off after that meeting, obviously, because here I'm, I felt like I was wasting my parents' money and wasting my time. And I was, I was unhappy with that. So I was waiting for my turn at the career center and there was a Navy poster because of course they have those up at every career center at every community college. And I looked at it and while I'm sitting there waiting for my turn, I'm looking at it going, you know, why not? I could give that a shot. I could do that. My dad did it. He did two tours in Vietnam and he enjoyed it. And that was in wartime and we're not in wartime. So, so yeah, I just, with nothing more than like a, a poster in my face, I just went ahead and 
and said, you know, I'm going to go try this out. So I did a little research and found out the number of college credits I needed to join is more than E3. And it turns out I was only three credits away. So I dropped two of my three classes and kept the one that I knew I'd get a really good grade in (laughs) and (laughs) uh, finished up that semester. And, you know, I went into the recruiting office and they didn't even have to recruit me. I just walked in and said, okay, I want to join the Navy. And they were like, "Uh, okay. And super excited and gave me the in-office ASVAB and I got an 88. And I was like, okay, is that good? That is a high score. I'm like, oh, Okay. So I, you know, I did that and he took me up to MEPS and he was absolutely no help whatsoever. He just left me. <laughs> he had two people shipping out. So he was like, this is the line for the ASVAB. You just wait your turn and they'll cycle you through. And, you know, it's, it's a timed thing. So everybody does it at different times. So, you know, there's going to be people in there when you get in there. Don't worry about it. Just focus on you and your computer and you'll be great. And he took off. And I'm like, okay. And I listened to all the other recruiters that were standing there actually helping their people. And I listened to all their tips about like on the quick math, be careful because the plus sign can look like a division sign. So look really close and see if there's that little bit of space between, you know, the center line and the, you know, the cross line, because it could be a division sign and they'll give you both answers. So they try to trip you up. So I uh, went through the ASVAB and I went in, took it and left. And I noticed that there were still people in there taking theirs that were in there when I started. And I was just like, insta pissed. I was like, oh man, I bombed it. There's no way I did well on this at all. I was in and out before some of these other people and it's timed. I screwed up. Oh, this is going to be horrible. So I went through the rest of the day at MEPS and then went to the hotel and then came back the next day to finish up any medical stuff and to find out the results of my ASVAB. My recruiter didn't even tell me what the high score on the ASVAB was. I assumed it was out of a hundred or something like that. And so I, you know, people were going in and getting their score and coming out and like announcing their score to the waiting people. Um, And so like I was telling you guys before, I don't make fast friends. I make long-term friends. So all these other people overnight had become BFFs and I'm sitting there like, I don't know anybody. I don't know their names. I really, honestly, I didn't care because I figured we weren't all going the same place anyway. And so I go in to get my ASVAB score and people have been coming out with scores of like seventies and eighties and stuff like that. The highest I think at that point was like 86. And so I go in there and I sit down and the way I became an AT was kind of funny because the one thing my recruiter told me was don't go new. He goes, if they offer it to you, don't go nuke. And I was like, okay, why? And he goes, people flunk out of it. It's really, really hard. It's really stressful. You just, you don't want to go nuke. So I go in there and that's the only thing I'm telling myself is don't go nuke. So I sit down and she was like, hi, so you want to go nuke? And she was like all excited. And I was like, no, I responded in the same tone of voice. I was like, "Mm, no. And she goes, oh, and I go, why did you ask me that? She goes, you did really well on your ASVAB. I was like, okay, cool. So, you know, what can I do? And she goes, you can do anything. And I go, yeah, I know you can do anything. Join the Navy. Like, seriously, what do I do? <laughs> and she was like, no, you can literally do anything. And I go, why? And she goes, you got a 96. And I was like, hmm, out of what? <laughs> Cause I still didn't know. And she goes 99. And I'm like, I did not miss three points. Where did I miss three points? Like at that point, it was just an insult. So um, I, she goes, well, the next job down from, 
you know, from Nuke is an aviation electronic technician. And I go, well, what do they do? And she kind of explained the job to me. She's like, you work on boxes that come out of the airplanes and out of the helicopters. And it's all about electronics and keeping our, you know, fleet flying. And I was like, well, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. So I was an intermediate level um, aviation electronic technician. I worked in the shop and um, I just kind of went from there. And (laughs) when I came out though, I did not be, I was not all 96 y'all. I was like 87 and they were all like, Oh my God. (laughs) Cause I was like, I'm never seeing these people again. I'm not going to be like, Oh, I would have. I totally been like 96. Bam. (laughs) My score looks sad. (laughs) I knew it was still good enough to be an air traffic controller, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I don't, I don't. My little, my little (laughs) sixty-five. I just told him which way. I just told him which way the gear would turn. I don't know, and they were like, "Oh, you're smart," and I was like, "Okay." So yeah, that was. Yeah, I failed the math portion of uh, my ASVAB. But we, we've already been talking about my math struggles on this podcast. Like, yes, (laughs) that is very true, and that's okay. But I had enough points in all of the right places to be an air traffic controller. So, <laughs> and that's that's the thing, though, is what people don't understand is that's what the ASVAB's for. They're finding what your strengths are. Yeah. So, yeah. My, yeah. Well, cheers I, to ASVAB scores. Cheers to ASVAB. Cheers to ASVAB scores. <laughs> cheers. My my cousin just joined the Navy and is in boot camp right now. And oh, awesome. so he went in and took his ASVAB and he did really well. I couldn't tell you exactly what score he got. I don't remember, but he did really well and he could be almost anything. And I'm like, oh, can you be an air traffic controller? And he was like, no, that's like one of five jobs that I didn't qualify to do. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, you could have been like me and now you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so then I roasted him for like two weeks and then he, he left. He's in aviation though. He's, yeah. um, Aviation awesome. mechanic, I think. Oh, fun! Oh, well, he can trade. actually work on the planes. Yeah, my job—he's excited. <laughs> he, I think he's going to try to be a Navy diver, but you know, you have to join nice. and go into oh, a race, and then, but he'll be yep, in yep. Pensacola like we were. Right on. So now I have a reason to go to Pensacola and not hang out with him. Pick me up on the way, please. Yes, <laughs> we're going. We're going to Pensacola. Awesome. To, to quote unquote visit him because he's not going to yes. hang out with his weird old cousin and I don't know. I just want to go to Pensacola. Me too. I miss it. It's yeah. been a while. I love. I, know, I was just in Panama Beach City and it was just you know it's just similar to Pensacola and I was like, yep. oh, homesick. So pretty. The white sand is so pretty. We were there for a hot minute. Yeah, four days. Four days. I drank a lot of Svetka vodka while I was down there. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a requirement. It's so good. Cheers to Svetka vodka. Cheers to Svetka vodka. So they give us a uh, sponsor. Free promo promo, Svetka vodka. (laughs) 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 Because we like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jen, um, where were you stationed and did you have a favorite place? So I was stationed in, well, Pensacola for my schooling. And then I went from there to Oceana, Virginia, Virginia for, um, an East coast sailor. First I am, I'm an East coast sailor. I am full 100% East coast because I'm a dumbass and ask for West coast <laughs> boat and I got East coast shore duty. Hey, cheers to West coast is the best coast. Cheers for West, West coast. coast is the best coast. <laughs> because I tried. 
I tried and I got shot down hardcore. Yeah, they um, they they got me. They were like, oh, no, because while we were still in Pensacola, they were like, no, no, your regular guy had to go on leave unexpectedly. So you have a new guy and he'll actually just give you what you ask for. Yeah, I fell for it. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. But I asked for East Coast. Like they ask you for your top three. Right. So I was like, East Coast on a boat uh, or no West Coast on a boat. Excuse me. Um, East Coast on a boat. I just asked for a boat. Like I wanted to go on a boat. Like I wanted to start there because that's I did too. And they were like, no female building to travel. And they were like, yeah, no hard. No. And I was like, uh, okay. So I got East coast shore duty opposite of what I asked for. Yeah. It blew. So I'm on and it, huh, they added insult to injury too, because they not only put me on East coast shore duty, then they didn't have any open rooms in the barracks for a female because you either had to be roomed with a female or have a single room and single rooms were like a hot commodity. So I'm on the list, right? I'm waiting for a room. And in the meantime, they put me in what they called the transitional barracks, which is another word for the pregnant barracks where they put all the pregnant women off of the ships that either get pregnant on purpose or on accident, but either way, they're knocked up. They're in there. They're hormonal. They're insane. And there's a lot of them, dude. Of them, it was like a three story building full of hormones, and here I am, innocent little me, engaged to a dude that's stationed in North Carolina, and, and I'm just surrounded by pregnant people. And like, it's a running joke that everybody's like, Hey, Clark, you pregnant yet? And I'm like, No, I'm still buying my water, you know, like, I'm <laughs> the because I don't want to catch what you're like, I am not so, drinking this Virginia water. <laughs> So I'm like, I'm not drinking Prego Barracks water. So, so I'm stuck in the Prego Barracks for a hot minute, but I was like AJ squared away. So as soon as, and it was funny, the guy in my shop bought a house and moved out of the barracks and he had a single room. And even though I wasn't top of the list, I was more squared away. So there was something to that. I was more squared away than the other people on the list in front of me. And so they didn't want to give the single room the dirt bags they wanted to give it to me so they gave it to me and they told me they were like we're pushing you ahead of a couple of people on the list but you know we know you want out of the transitional barracks and I'm like transitional barracks yeah we think <laughs> transitional barracks so um and I was roomed with, it was a three person room so I was roomed with two other very pregnant very hormonal females it was horrible and so they put me in a single room and I was like yes I was so excited. And ironically enough, right before that, they had tried to put me in a double that they thought was completely vacant. And as I'm moving my stuff in, it was like the day before Lambert moved out. And so they're trying to put me in that one. And I'm like, there's food in here. And like, there's men's stuff in the bathroom. And I checked with them and they were like, oh, our bad. You can't live there. And I'm like, well, where am I supposed to sleep? You know, because that was like on a Friday and they're like, you just need to find somewhere to be for the weekend. I was like, thanks. So basically I was homeless for a weekend. The Navy was just like, sorry, you can't stay in the barracks. You can't go back to the transitional barracks. And, you know, you're just, you're homeless for a weekend. So I stayed with some married friends who had a place in town and that's a story I won't get into, but it was one weekend. And then that next Monday, she's like, oh, good news. Lambert finally moved out so you can have the single room and it was right across the hall. So I literally propped the doors open and just chucked my stuff across the <laughs> into the single room and got excellence and outstandings on my, um, 
um, my room inspections after that because I was not losing that room. Nothing was coming between me and my single room. <laughs> so I had a single room the whole time I was in the military. It was great. It was great. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, I was stationed. I, <laughs> I ended up being stationed. I went to Oceana for school and then ended up being stationed in Norfolk. And I was a Norfolk sailor. I was at the Aviation Intermediate Maintenance Department in Norfolk the whole time. And my truck had no AC and it was awesome. So Pensacola was my favorite because <laughs> it was Virginia and Virginia is the armpit of the East coast. It was horrible. And I don't know. So a it. theme right now on our podcast is that no one likes being stationed on the East coast. So yeah, no, I hated it. If you are listening to our podcast and you disagree with that and you have a positive review of the East Coast, please let us know because yeah. we, would, we would like to hear your opinion on why the East Coast is better than the West Coast. Because right now, no one's no one's crazy. going to chime in for this, Amanda. No, nope. <laughs> we might have like an outlier. I'm just curious. I know, because I haven't met anyone that has had good things to say about the East Coast sailors. So I guarantee they would have been born and raised there. That's the only way you would ever like the the east coast right the if you're from there and you were trying yeah. to go home because the west coast has seasons that's true it's just, just muggy or muggy and nasty and then back to muggy so okay, no. yeah <laughs> just to really mess with you yeah yeah, yeah. Actual okay. so if you west. are an east coast sailor and you disagree that west coast is the best coast then let us know so that we can have a structured productive conversation about it <laughs> I would love to hear the other side of that because I can't think anything about it. Me too. Cause so far everyone has been West coast is the best coast. Okay. I'll amend that. I can think of one positive thing, the ocean. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Being able to go out and be in the water and just be in the ocean. And we went out boogie boarding all the time and I never learned to surf, but that oh, was, you, can, you could do that in San Diego. Well, yeah, I'd have to agree, though, that the Atlantic Ocean the is warmer. better than the Yeah, Pacific. the Atlantic Ocean is warmer than the Pacific Ocean. It's a and they have sandier beaches, and the West Coast has, like, rockier beaches. True. But yeah. water shoes take care of that. So, I mean, like, that's not yeah. a... It's a minor detail. <laughs> it's a minor detail, exactly. All right. So, so yeah, I would have to say Pensacola was my favorite. Yeah, you get that Gulf Shore. Like, hey, oh, cheers, yeah, to cheers to Pensacola. Cheers to Pensacola. Yeah. So when you were in Pensacola, did you ever go to Florabama? I did not. I didn't. You no. never made it there? Never oh, made it there. Awesome. Amber, have you been there? Yes, ma'am. You know, camping there. Have you, have you heard the song that Kenny Chesney wrote about it? No. Uh, oh, he wrote a song about it? Yeah, he did. It's, so it's on all the big revival album. And Ooh. I was listening to that album because he wrote a song called wild child that I fell in love with. And so yeah. uh, I used to have a fairly long commute for when I worked on the railroad. And so I was listening to the album one day just for fun and I was just jamming to it. I wasn't really paying attention. And he wrote a song on that album called Floribama and it brought back every single memory I have of that bar. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like I had to pull my car over and like have a moment because I was like, this is amazing. So I'm sorry that you never got to go there. But Amber yeah, needs to listen to it because it is 100 percent like glory. Wait, describe it to me. Like which which bar was Florabama? So it's on the border of Florida and Alabama, and it's mm -hmm. right on the beach. You can get oysters on the half shell, like fresh. 
Okay, yeah, I definitely didn't go to that one. There's bras hanging all over the ceiling. There's dollars pinned to the wall. The tequila is always pouring. Like, it's delicious. It was the first time I ever had oysters, and we used to go out there and have oysters and tequila before we would go out in Pensacola. Oh, nice. We would have our DD take us back to Pensacola, and then we would hit up um, either Pensacola Beach, or we would would plummet a little bit and go to Jean's. There was also shooters. I spent a lot of time at shooters. I don't think I ever had long necks. Oh my gosh. They had dollar long necks every Friday and Saturday. It was a cheap, easy drunk. Yeah. 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 With a nice dance floor, nice size dance floor. And they had live music and that was a good time and pool and all that. Nice. So we know that uh, veterans have a million stories to tell. And we also know that we could go on forever. But do you have a favorite sea story that you like to tell? So I never deployed, so it wouldn't be technically a sea story. But there you have an East Coast Shore story to tell. <laughs> there was one time. So when I first, when I very first got to the East Coast, I met all of the people who were going to be in my shop at a barbecue. So it was me and a few of my other friends from Pensacola that all got stationed in Oceana at the same time and all got stationed and knew where they were going after Oceana. So as soon as Oceana was over, quite a few of them stayed on the East Coast with me. Some of them went to boats and some of them were on shore duty, but we were all pretty much still together and still on the East Coast. So we, um, I met my duty station um, petty officer and everything. The guy who was in charge, the first class who was in charge of the shop and don't remember his name. I've locked him out. He was a horrible person, but we went to a welcome barbecue. It was, they had barbecues all the time. They actually, they were very good about getting together off the clock and just, you know, building that rapport and that camaraderie in the shop and everything. The shop was not a good fit for me, but I didn't know that until way later. So I go to this welcome barbecue and they allowed me to bring a couple of friends. So I brought a friend and I, they were like, it's super casual. And so I was just like in jeans and a sweatshirt, no big deal, no makeup, hair in a ponytail, didn't care. So we do the welcome barbecue and they were all really nice. And I mean, they did a barbecue. They had a whole pig roasting on this huge, huge barbecue and everything. And it was a really good time. And they were like, Hey, we're all going out later. You should come. And I was like, I'm there, you know, I'm trying to meet these people and get to know them because I'm going to be working with them day in and day out. So, you know, so I was like, I'm so there. So they're like, okay, we're meeting here at this time. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, is it cool if my friend comes too? And they're like, yeah, the more the merrier. I was like, okay, cool. So my friend bowed out, but I still went. So I went from jeans and a sweatshirt and no makeup and my hair pulled up to clubbing clothes, which I was super skinny, obviously back then, because that's all they did with us in the Navy is work us out. So um, super skinny. So I was wearing clubbing clothes. I did my hair and I put some makeup on. I get there and one of the guys in the shop, they had warned me was like a player. So, which I was already engaged at that point. So, or I was in a serious relationship with him. And so I wasn't, I didn't care about that anyway. I was like, I don't care. I'm not sleeping with anybody. My boyfriend's, you know, stationed in North Carolina or he was in Pensacola, one of the two. So I didn't care that he was a player because it had no bearing on me. And I get there and he was already drunk, the player guy. And we're sitting at the table and he's talking to me and hitting on me. And I'm just 
I'm confused. I'm seriously confused at this point because I'm like, does he not know who I am? And so I'm looking around at everybody at the table and they're just, they're trying really hard not to laugh because they realize that he really doesn't recognize me from the barbecue. He doesn't know that he's already met me. He thinks he's picking me up and I went with it. It was so funny. I kept flirting with him and talking to him and I was like, he's either so drunk, he's not going to remember this tomorrow, or he's going to remember it and we're going to be able to rib him about it forever. So, you know, I'm talking to him and flirting with him and we're having fun and everything. And then at the end of the night, I was like, do you really not remember me? And he got this panic stricken look on his face and he goes, have we hooked up before? And nobody can stop from laughing at that point. The entire table lost it. Everybody's laughing. And I took pity on him and I said, I'm Clark. I'm the new girl in the shop. He looked at me and he backed himself up and he looked me up and down and he was just absolutely floored. He was like, what happened? You don't look like a boy anymore. And I was like, wow, thanks, I guess. Like super charming. So yeah, that was uh, a Navy girl transition. Yeah. Cheers to that. (laughs) We don't look the same in uniform, out of uniform, out of uniform. I was smoking apparently, and he had no idea who I was (laughs) all night trying to get with me, like wasting any other opportunity to, to hook up with somebody. And it was never going to happen. So everyone knew it, but him and they thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) Everyone knew it, but him. Everyone but him. And they all, it was pretty hilarious that I just kept stringing him along instead of being like, you know who I am, right? So Bless his heart. Bless his yeah, heart. Bless in the his heart. We're going to go real Texas right now and we are going to bless his heart. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers to bless his heart. That is Cheers. So being in the service is, you know, it has hard times, but mostly it's fantastic. But eventually everyone has to get out. What was your story transitioning from military to being a veteran? So my transition was actually smoother than most, and I'm grateful for that. Um, As you know, Amanda, I got hurt in 01, um, in August of 01, and it was um, a very interesting injury. It happened during um, PT, during physical training. So we decided to play football as a class. And so of course it was Marines versus Navy. And by the way, we won, but we were, and (laughs) right. And I, I had the ball and I went down for good field position and they decided to dogpile on me, all the Marines. And so they were not light by any stretch of the imagination. And I was just a slip of a thing at that point because boot camp and whittled me down to almost nothing. So, um, the ball was actually shoved up into my side and it dislocated a couple of ribs temporarily and damaged the nerves in my side. So I wasn't able to raise my arm over my head. I wasn't able to lift anything. I couldn't do a push up. I mean, it was, it was really, really painful at first. And then, um, they tried to fix me while I was still in a school and they did a nerve block which is where they inject the nerves with a mixture of lidocaine and medication and try to keep the nerve from misfiring because that's basically what was happening. And it worked temporarily and they were like, good to go. And they stamped me and moved me on to Oceana. And so I tried to keep it quiet, but it was still causing me quite a bit of pain, but I was still working out. I was still running and, you know, doing 
doing my PT and keeping, keeping up with that. And, um, it, it eventually was enough that they decided that they didn't need to keep me in anymore because I wasn't a hundred percent. So, um, and of course I did, I joined before nine 11 happened and then nine 11 happened while we were in Pensacola. And, um, you know, it was, a it was interesting to go from being a peaceful military to being wartime military and people were what I consider suddenly patriotic. So a lot of people joined after nine 11, which is awesome. It's really awesome because sometimes it just takes that extra little push to get somebody to go from maybe that's something I could do to, I feel a need to serve my country. So a lot of people joined after nine 11. And so they didn't really need to keep anybody who wasn't a hundred percent. So I got pushed out. I actually went, um, I fought it until the very end. I went up to Bethesda and stood in front of a med board and pled my case and they still kicked me out. So I was part of a new program that they were trying out where they transition you slowly. And so they actually had me set up for my disability pay before I was out. And they gave me two months severance um, times the number of years I was in. So times two. So I got basically four months of pay upon my date of discharge and then they counter, like they, they had me pay that back with my disability pay until everything was settled, basically. So the severance pay wasn't just like a gift or anything. I did have to, you know, offset it with my disability pay. But I also started getting disability pay the first of the next month that I, after I was discharged. So their program worked. As far as that goes, I was definitely supported financially by them. So I did have a disability rating upon discharge. I was coded as not eligible for reenlistment. So even if I found a way to overcome my nerve damage, I couldn't get back in if I wanted to, which I still do, <laughs> but I, you know, I miss it. But you know, I, when I joined, it was on a whim, but at the same time, once I was in, it felt like home. And I was like, this is where I need to be. This is what I've been missing. And <clears throat> to have that taken away was extremely difficult to deal with. And so my transition of paperwork and payments and things like that was very smooth. But my emotional transition was extremely rough because I didn't feel like a real veteran. I didn't deploy. I was only on shore duty. I was only in for two years and two months. And uh, that's honestly something I still struggle with, um, not feeling like a real veteran, especially being married to someone who was in for a cumulative 12 years of his life. You know, I definitely don't feel as much of a veteran. I, I'm technically a veteran is how I kind of feel. And so, yeah, the emotional support wasn't there. It was pretty rough. They did that class that they say, this is how you dress for an interview. This is what your resume should look like. Oh, that's the class Amber didn't go to. Yeah, I didn't miss anything. It was horrible. (laughs) You know, uh, I actually never deployed either. So I was, yeah, I was on a boat for two months and 24 days. And then I was on shore duty. Yeah. So, and I, so I, I get completely how you feel when it comes to like being a veteran, if you never deployed. I didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Nope. I didn't either. So was I, I didn't go anywhere. So But I still worked my butt off while I was in, you know, I worked on the, and I actually, I had to transfer shops while I was in because even though I was rated as an AT, I couldn't lift the boxes 
And like I said, I wasn't a good fit socially for my uh, shop. So they decided that when I volunteered for the AE shop, the aviation electrician shop, which was down quite a few people and needed some help. And I was like, I'll go. They were like, we think that's a good idea. And I was like, I'm so glad. Can I please go now? And (laughs) we, uh, I went ahead and uh, we decided that it was a good idea for me to go help them out. And I, so I worked most of my time in an AE shop. I wasn't even doing the job I was trained for. I was wire chasing on circuit cards and I learned in a completely new system, the Huntron system and sat there and redrew schematics and, tested cards and found broken components when they weren't obviously broken and things like that. So I created quite a few of the testing programs for like, if I had two known good cards, so if I had two cards that we knew were good, I would test both of them. I would average out the results and then I would save that so that they had a range of, it should be between this and this, if it's a good component. And then I would redraw the schematics. I would bundle it up and that was a test that people on boats could use so that they didn't have to take the extra time to ship their things to the shore to get them fixed. They could try to do it on the boat. So, so I, and you know, that's, that's something that's used Navy wide is those tests. And so I was, you know, I was supporting my country and I was supporting people. I just wasn't doing it with a gun in my hand. So like a soldering gun, sure, but not like, <laughs> not, not a, I mean, those are still very important things no. that need to be done, though, so that the they people are. That, are, that are out at sea with very little resources are able to yes. use the tools that are available to them. Yeah, and maintain their equipment without having to rely on outside resources. Right, yeah. right. That was well, something that we could send them electronically, too. And I did deploy. I deployed on a naval vessel, but I still hear from other branches in the service that I didn't go into Iraq. So am I really a veteran? And I'm like, well, I was in the Persian Gulf. So according Mm -hmm. to regulations, like I am a combat veteran and we still did things in support of those people that were, that were on the ground in Iraq Mm -hmm. and Afghanistan. So it's military wide and it's, it's branch differentiation. Is that a Mm -hmm. word differentiation? It is now. (laughs) It is now. (laughs) Enough vodka, anything could be a word. (laughs) But but I get where you guys are coming from. Even though I did deploy on a naval ship, people are still like, you're not really you're not really that much of a veteran either because you weren't on the shore, like you weren't boots on the ground in in the Middle East. And I'm like, but I was still in the Middle East and we were still, you know doing activities that that were dangerous and so it's like a pissing contest and nobody wins yeah and no one wins and we all fight our own battles separately yeah Yeah, I said something about not feeling like a real veteran to my dad and he got really angry with me yeah I mean this is a guy who did two tours in Vietnam and he was boots on the ground and he was on boats and he did swift boats and things like that I mean he really saw all of the things he saw all the things and he was angry with me for not considering myself a full veteran, but you know, it's, it's something that I'm dealing with and something that I still have to kind of come to terms with and I'm getting better about it. Yeah. Um, so. so on, on that note, Jen, how are you doing now? Uh, I would say overall pretty well. I 
had my GI bill and I have exhausted that. I got my bachelor's after I, uh, after I got out, I actually, I didn't do anything for a little while. Um, I had severance pay, so I didn't have to get a job right away. And so I didn't, and I was lucky enough to literally just sit around and do nothing for a couple of months. And it was horrible. I hated not having something to do and not having somewhere to be. So, uh, I was engaged when I got out and my first husband, now ex-husband was, returned to Texas when he got out, he injured his knee and they did surgery and he still wasn't up to what they considered combat readiness. He was a Marine. And so they, they booted him out a month shy of his two year mark and bust him home to Texas. Um, he kind of got the short end of the stick there, but he was in Texas and I came back to Washington cause they return you to your home of record, uh, when you get out. And so I just kind of bummed around with my friends and reconnected with people and saw my family and everything. And, um, my family was, is amazingly supportive. And I think that's really helped my transition when we, (laughs) I didn't even know that Olympia had people flying in and out because it's got such a tiny little airport. I thought it was just freight, but it turns out they did at the time. I don't know if they still do, but they actually managed to fly me into Olympia when I got out. And so, you know, I told my parents when I'd be in and as the plane landed, there's like, I don't know, like a half a dozen other people on the plane. And they're like, what is that? What's in the building? Is that people? Is that building full of people? And I look over and all you see is people along the window, you know, just face up to the window, adults, children, everybody just like, and it's a tiny building, y'all. It's tiny and it is stuffed full of people. And I'm just like, oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, God. They're here for me. <laughs> and I didn't say anything. And I wasn't traveling in uniform because I was already out. So I was just in, you know, like a nice, comfortable sheath dress so that I could be comfortable on the flight. And I get <laughs> the plane. Those are your people. <laughs> They were all my people, all of them, like <laughs> grandparents and great aunts and uncles down to like my youngest cousin was all in the building. And they, my grandmother's yard is just a garden and she had gone through and picked a bunch of flowers and gave everybody just a little bit. So as they came up and hugged me and said, welcome home and they had signs and they had <laughs> them up against the window, welcome home. And I'm like, oh my God, it was Fine. I'm like, it's not like I'm a war hero. What are they doing? But they were just so happy that I was home and that I was safe. So, um, so yeah, they're, and they all come up and they give me a little bit of flowers. And by the end, I'm like a prom queen or a beauty queen with this massive bouquet of flowers in my arms. And then we all go back to my parents' house and there's a huge barbecue set up and all the things. And everybody stayed and hung out for a while. And I had to put my flowers in like two different vases because there were so many of them. They wouldn't fit in one. And, but it was just really cool. And all the people on the plane started thanking me for my service. They were like, we didn't even know. I'm like, cause it's personal. <laughs> it's not something I walk around announcing. So, um, so that was an interesting homecoming, but it was a pretty cool homecoming and their support has never wavered from that. And I'm very, very thankful for that. So anything that I've decided to do, they've supported. So I, I quote unquote blame a lot of my success on my family support, but, um, I ended up going back and finishing my associate's degree. And then I, you know, I moved my ex-husband from Texas up to Washington and we got married up here and Amanda, you were there. And <laughs> you remember I made, and, um, cause it was your fault. And so, 
<laughs> and so we So yeah. I do have some pictures from hanging out that weekend with you at the wedding. So I'm awesome. I'm gonna post some of those online for our viewers so that they can see how you look during that. <laughs> what I used to look like. <laughs> how happy I was. Yeah, and then I'll still we're happy then. <laughs> I'll be like no, but yeah, it was it was a really good time in my life. And so I finished my associates. My ex-husband's father, unfortunately, had a massive stroke in 2005, and we ended up moving down to Texas. And so by January 2006, I was living in Texas, but I went to Texas a Texas. Here's to Texas. I'm an Aggie. Woo! So, oh, home of the 12th man. Yes. Texas. <laughs> So yeah, that was a fun time when the Seahawks took the 12th man and I'm on the bus to school listening to everybody like hate on Washington and the Seahawks. And I'm just like, quiet, because I don't want them to know that I'm from there and that I'm a Seahawks fan because I wasn't a fan of them stealing the 12th man without asking. It's obviously copyrighted for a reason. No, actually, they gave it, they let Seattle use that. I, I had to do some research. They did it after the big after the big brouhaha. They agreed. Yeah. They they came to an agreement with Seattle, but Seattle did use it without permission first, and then they got permission. So yeah, that was a fun time because everybody absolutely hated Seattle right then. So I went to AM though, and I got my degree in history with a minor in anthropology. So I got my bachelor's there, and then I did that through the Vogue Rehab program because I had always had really physical jobs before I joined the military. And then I couldn't do the physical job because of my disability. So the Vogue Rehab program actually paid for me to get my bachelor's at A&M. And it was an amazing program. They paid for all of my, um, they got me a computer. They paid for all of my books and my tuition and my fees. And I'm serious, like down to pens and pencils and paper. Like they paid for everything. And I got and then we ended up moving back up here and we ended up, the marriage ended up ending and um, I have two beautiful boys from it. And then I decided I had gotten a job with the Federal Aviation Administration <laughs> because of my <laughs> FAA. Here's to the FAA. Yes. And I was working for a Marine. So that part was funny. He's a former Marine and he... Uh, was in on my interview. And after the interview, he's like, I want her. And it was like nine, I found out later, nine different veterans. They only interviewed the veterans because there was just so many people applying for the job. They only interviewed the veterans. And of those veterans, according to the person who didn't think I should be hired, I was the least qualified. But the guy who was actually going to be working with me, I was, it was, a, it was just a secretarial position. So it's not rocket science. <laughs> they did that too, but that's not what I was applying. <laughs> so, you know, I was just applying to be a secretary and he was like, I want her, her attitude fits, her mood fits, just her, she fits. I want her. And so despite other people not agreeing with him, they hired me and I obviously worked out splendidly because I'm amazing. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I worked as his secretary for about a year and then uh, got a promotion and just kind of rode that wave for a while and ended up doing all the foreign validation stuff. And it felt good because I felt like I was helping out the guy because I was working with all the general aviation people. So all the little mom and pop shops, all the little small companies that try to make it in the aviation world. And anytime they wanted to sell their stuff overseas, there had to be an agreement between their government and our government. And I was the conduit for that. So 
I, I created the foreign validation program that the FAA was using through Seattle to, to work with other countries to get people's products sold overseas. So that felt really good. I felt like I was really helping. But then after a while, it became more political than anything else. And I was like, nah, I need something different. So I went kind of squirrel a couple of years ago and I quit my job at the FAA. Squirrel. <laughs> yep, squirrel. I totally went squirrel. And quit my job at the FAA and went a completely different direction and got a job on a crisis team out of Lewis County, which is just south of where I currently live. And I did that for about a year. And now I'm on an expanded community services team. And I'm a behavior support specialist with them. And I work with clients who are placed in adult family homes who have a history of behaviors that have lost them placement prior to me working with them. And it's my job to make sure that they maintain placement and they don't get displaced or become homeless because of their behaviors. So their behaviors are typically rooted in mental health issues. And uh, I just work with them to, you know, help them with coping skills, help them with, you know, being happier in general and how to deal with people and how to, you know, how to survive basically in this crazy, crazy world. And an amazing yeah um, and I went back to taking like it takes a special kind of person to (laughs) to be able to help in those situations yeah it thank you it I don't really see myself as that special but um but thank you oh no you are a lot of people say that and I I don't see it but they're like that's because you're that person and I'm like okay that's true like if that's how it works okay because like Amber's in social work too. Like yeah, it's intense. In social work too, and she's she's very empathetic, like you are. Yeah. And I don't have that gift. Like I have the gift of mm-hmm. of other things, but I don't have that that gift of being empathetic to mm-hmm. the kind of things that the two of you are empathetic to. And so that's something that that I deal in my day-to-day mental health journey that, that you guys are already there on that. And so for me, as someone that doesn't have that gift to look at the two of you and see that gift in the two of you, like I'm thankful and I'm blessed to call both of you my friends because it takes a village and we don't all have the ability to do the things that the two of you do. Yeah. Amanda, we are drinking right now and that's not helpful. You're going to make her cry. I I might have made Amber cry, guys. A little bit. A little bit. But I'm super thankful that I'm able to call both of you my friends and that you both have that gift of empathy and the ability to help people. I'm just call you my friend after all this time. Yeah. Yeah. But the ability to help people like me that don't have that that same gift because it gets me through a lot of hard days to be able to reach out to one of the two of you that do have yeah. that gift. And so you, you are special. And so you should believe people when they tell you that, that you are. So, Oh God, you're going to make me cry. Cheers okay. to being special. Cheers to being Cheers. special. Here's to having a village to support all your needs. So yeah, I decided to also go back to school. So I am currently about two thirds ish of the way through my master's in counseling and when I graduate, I will have the opportunity to be licensed as a licensed mental health counselor or as a license and as a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. And I have also added on top of that, because I'm cray cray, I added the chemical dependency professional 
um, certification on top of that. So I so we still- all have that gift of being cray cray. <laughs> yes, we. <laughs> yes, we do. It's part of our charm. Yes, absolutely. I uh, I just kind of added to what I was already doing and decided to go dual track and then decided to add the chemical dependency aspect and because it can only help. It really can't hurt to have that extra training and have that extra knowledge. And I just absolutely love the classes I'm taking and the people I'm surrounded by in my learning environment. And it feels like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And I haven't had this feeling since the military. So it's a very good feeling. It feels really good to have found my tribe again and the acceptance and the shared goals and the commonality and the support. Oh my gosh, the support from my fellow students is just absolutely amazing. I can never put into words how how awesome they are. Just like so I can how long did it take are. you from the time you got out until the time where you felt that you found your tribe again? Um I would say probably just recently. So maybe in the last year or so. So I would say about 18, 19 years. Right. 18 or 19 years. So And uh, it's not necessarily that I was struggling hard during that time. I still was doing good. I really enjoyed my job at the FAA and I, I miss working with a lot of those people, but I'm still in touch with them. But it and I was happy, but it wasn't the same kind of happy, if that makes sense. Right. Um it happy, but it wasn't necessarily fulfilling. And the friends that I made at the FAA were, not all of them were necessarily lifelong friends. A lot of them were very fair weather. And I found that out the hard way. But, you know, but it's okay. Because I also, when I found it out the hard way, it didn't destroy me at all. It was actually really liberating. So, yeah, just to have that dead weight out of my life and to not always feel like I was putting on a show to make these certain group of friends happy. So. so yeah, the the people that I really enjoyed at the FAA, I'm still in contact with. I reach out to them sporadically. They reach out to me sporadically. Uh, one of them's deaf. And I know, Amanda, you know that I have some sign language under my belt because I took some as part of my associates. And it was so much fun to practice my sign again with him and for nobody else to know what on earth we were saying. It was, it was great. He'd say something and then I'd say something and people would be like, what are you saying? And I'm like, Nothing. <laughs> just to mess with them. Just to mess with them. Because they didn't they didn't try. Nobody tried to get in, you know, to learn sign language to get along with him better. They just assumed that he would do what he needed to to get along with them better. And I thought that was really sad. So I did tell him I knew some sign and he is still one of my best friends from the FAA. So that's amazing. So <laughs> on that note, do you have any advice? for other service members that are becoming veterans or for veterans that are are trying to find their way now? I would say you are your own best advocate. I've, of course, listened to all your previous podcasts. And I know that a lot of people say ask for help, which is really difficult. And some people can't do that. And so I would say, you know, just to add to that really is just be your own advocate. You are your own best advocate. Don't take everything that you're told as truth, research it, look into it, do your own, you know, do your own snooping and find out if that's really the way it's going to go, especially when it comes to getting out. If they tell you, oh, this is how it has to be, question it, question everything, you know, trust, but verify. 
And because when I first got out, my disability rating was like 20% and now I'm at 40 and that still, I'm still not even rated for nerve damage, even though I have that diagnosis now. So really I could appeal again and I might do that, but you know, it, that was a hard earned 40% that I got. And so, you know, don't, don't ever stop advocating for yourself. Don't ever stop fighting for yourself and branch out, right? Reach out and not even reach out. Like I need help, but just, you know, network, you know, grow your, grow your community around you, you know, go to the VFW, go online, find groups online on Facebook. There's tons of veterans groups on Facebook. I've actually had a few phone calls with people that I've never met that I probably never will meet who were going through a really hard time and, you know, we're feeling suicidal and we're about to be one of the 22 and I offered to reach out to them and they reached back and we talked and they later thanked me and said, you know, you're the reason I'm still here and I've never even met you. And, you know, to be able to be that person for someone is just, it's a gift. That's incredible. And then, so you're our first guest on the show that is a female veteran. Oh. Do you, do you have any specific advice for the female veteran community? Don't take any crap from the men. Oh, cheers. 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 <laughs> cheers. <laughs> you are no less of a veteran because you have, you know, because you wear your balls on your, on your chest. Absolutely no less. I'm going to put that, I'm going to put that phrase in my pocket. (laughs) So many, so many people, when they find out I'm a veteran, they're like, oh, or, um, oh gosh, I worked with this guy. He doesn't work there anymore. Thank goodness. He was a horrible person. He, (laughs) he was also a Navy veteran and he saw the plates on my truck. My husband talked me into veteran plates. So I do have a Navy plate on my vehicle And he's like, it's yours. You know, all you need is your DD-214 to get that on your, on your vehicle. And you have that because you signed that check and you are a veteran and you deserve that recognition. And so he, he talked me into it. That's like the first, I'm a veteran thing that I've ever done besides my tattoo. And so this dude that worked at the center where I was, you know, where our crisis team worked out of, he was a nurse and he, he, like I said, he was a horrible person and I'm so glad he doesn't work there anymore. But he saw the plates and he goes, Oh, whose vehicle is that? And I looked at him and I go, mine. That's why I drive it every day. You've seen it before. And he goes, Oh, how did you get those plates on it? And I looked at him and I was like, are you kidding me right now? And I, I looked at him like he was stupid because he is. And (laughs) well, I served in the Navy and I showed him my DD 214 when I bought the car and uh, got some Navy plates. And he was like, you're a veteran? And he was surprised. And it's that surprise that, that really keeps me going to give a voice to the female veterans because veterans can be anybody. You, veterans do not have a look. Veterans do not have a type. Veterans can be anyone. So when you see a woman parking a vehicle in the Wounded Warrior spot at Walmart, don't accost her. Don't approach her. Don't leave a nasty note on her car, which yes, I got in the way of once. Um, somebody left a note on her car after she went in the store. They didn't even have the guts to confront her. They just left a note on her car and said, you don't look like any veteran I've ever seen. And I wadded up the note and threw it away so that she never had to see it because that's just completely unnecessary because I don't know that she was a veteran. It could have been her, her, you know, she was just in a hurry and it was a close spot. I honestly don't care. 
nobody deserves a note like that on their car at all, ever. So y'all are gonna make y'all are like, let's make Amber cry today. <laughs> Stories and stuff. <laughs> oh, I'm not trying. Yeah, I just. Yeah, I don't stand for that. Yeah. So don't put up with the bullshit. Um, My dad took me up. My dad, it's kind of a bonding thing for my dad and I that he takes me up for my nerve locks. I don't know if it's a bonding thing for him. It is for me. But but yeah, I I really enjoy having that one on one time with him because I have to go to Seattle. So it's about a 45 minute to an hour drive. And then he waits for me while I get my nerve block and he drinks his really bad VA coffee. And then... um, (laughs) And then he drives me home. And so we went you down. Try the coffee in the Dallas VA because it is not bad. Really? Okay. Yeah. The Seattle VA coffee. It's crap. And Which that, is surprising coming from Seattle. I know. Yeah. I know. We're like the home of Starbucks and we have crappy coffee at the VA. Because I'm not a coffee drinker. Not a coffee drinker. I never have one. So I just take my dad's word on it that it's nasty coffee. But he... Uh, he and I went to have some lunch because I can't eat before the nerve block. So I try to make them as early in the morning as possible because I am very food motivated and I do not like to go without my food. So as the earlier, the better. And so we went to get some lunch after I was done and we're down in the cafeteria and somebody asked my dad, what are you here for today? And he was like, oh, I was bringing my daughter in for her procedure. And they look at me and they look at him and they were like, what? And my dad goes, yeah, she's a veteran. And he had this really hard look on his face that I haven't seen very often. And it was just daring the guy to say anything other than thank you for your service to me. And it was, it was pretty awesome to see my dad go into that protective mode that somebody was discounting that I was a veteran because I was female and they just didn't. And I'm sure the guy didn't mean anything by it. They never do, but it still sucks when it's in your face. So yeah, my dad just looked at him and got this look on his face and said, yeah, she's a veteran. And the guy was like, oh, right on. And I was like, good answer, because I think my dad would have knocked you out if you said anything else. <laughs> so, yeah, my dad's an imposing looking dude. That's <laughs> so, amazing. And it, was pretty, it was pretty cool. And if our listeners wanted to reach you and hear more about your story or just needed someone to talk to, where can they find you? Absolutely. Anybody can reach out to me anytime. I can be found on Facebook. Um, I believe my profile picture is public and it is me striking an awesome pose after my wedding. So it definitely looks like me. Bright red hair. That's how you figure it out. It's me, the right Jennifer Greer. Bright red hair. And uh, I'm on Facebook. I believe I'm on LinkedIn. I don't keep it very well, but I believe I'm on LinkedIn as well. My full name is Jennifer Clark Greer. I kept my maiden name when I got married, went a little hippie with it, but you can find me by Jennifer Clark, Jennifer Clark Greer, or Jennifer Greer. If they want to reach out to you guys, I am happy to share my personal number or email with anybody. So if you would like to talk to Jennifer on a personal level, reach out to Amber or I, and we will get you in contact with her. But cheers to the hippies, because yeah, that's veteran life in a nutshell. Pretty much. I just didn't want to lose my sense of self. Like the woman is expected to give up who she is when she gets married by giving up her name. And that the first time I did that the first time. And when I got divorced, I took back my maiden name and I didn't want to give that up again. And my husband was wonderful, said, you don't have to change your name as long as I can call you my wife. So I definitely married really well the second time. 
and we're doing well. Yeah. Amber, do you want to talk a little bit about the charity that we've chosen to support on our journey? Sure. So um, actually, uh, Jen is familiar with this organization. <laughs> um, we are supporting the Till Valhalla Project, and they are huge advocates for 22 a day. And they have some awesome gear. I know she's got some on right now, even though y'all can't see. I've got my bracelet on. And I know the link will be posted in our podcast to bring about the awareness of 22 veterans killing themselves every day. Where else Where else can um, people find us after they've checked out the Till Valhalla Project? So if you want to contact myself or Amber on the Veterans Drink and Vodka, we can be found on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. All of them are at Veterans Drink and Vodka. Or you can email us at veteransdrinkandvodka.com. Um, please reach out if you'd like to tell your story and be a guest on our podcast. You can send us an email or a DM on any of the platforms that Amanda just mentioned. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts or Amazon. We are definitely getting ourselves out there. There are several different ways um, to listen to us, to connect with us, and to connect with other veterans. Uh, And um, once you listen to that podcast, any episode, please leave us a review and let us know what you think, how we're doing, where we can improve, and how we can be better. Yes, we are bringing about awareness to mental health um, and to veterans, but we are also bringing about the fact that there are 22 veterans that kill themselves every day, and 22 is 22 too many. One a day is one too many. And you are never alone. Veterans drinking vodka. Cheers. Cheers.